Hi everyone and welcome to Empathy Gaps, an online video podcast focused on creating a safe space to discuss mental health and psychology and social media while also working to address the needs of the current mental health crisis. I'm Tiffany Zhang, your host, and today we have a very special guest, Michelle. Michelle is the Executive Director of the National Association for Media Literacy Education and has been featured on PBS, CNN's Reliable Sources, and more. In 2020, Michelle received the 2020 Global Media and Information Literacy Award from UNESCO. She is also an adjunct lecturer at Brooklyn College, where she teaches students about media literacy. Michelle, thank you so much for being here today and taking the time to join me. Before we start, is there anything else that you want to add regarding to what you do and who you are? Well, I think, um, well, first of all, thank you for having me. And also, um, I really appreciate the topic of your podcast. I think it's so important. um, But I also think it's so important that you as a high school student are talking about it with your peers. Like, um, it's amazing. Um, I think the only thing I would add is that I have, I'm a mom, and I have an 18 year old, almost 19 year old and a 21 year old. So I think that's important in the context of, uh, you know, the conversation, especially if we're going to be talking about social media, because I do have that connection to kind of young people um, with my kids and kind of how they think about social media, how they interact with social media. So that was the only other point I wanted to um, wanted to make sure was known to the audience. Yeah, definitely. I feel like that also adds some insight to our conversation. So I guess my first question would be like, please, I guess, like in your definition, in your own terms, like what is your definition of media literacy? Because I feel like we consume incredible amounts of media daily. And I think we we all think that we are experts in media, but I feel like there's a kind of a difference in consuming media versus being literate. So I guess like, can you kind of talk about that? Absolutely. That's what I talk about all day, Tiffany. <laughs> I can absolutely talk about it. So the way we have a very specific definition of media literacy. So we define media literacy as the ability to access, analyze, evaluate, create, and act using all forms of communication. So the way that we think about media literacy is that it's really an expanded definition of literacy. So no longer is it sufficient to be able to read and write and print. We also need to be able to create, consume, author, um, using all types of communication, right? So it really comes down to what does it mean to be a literate person in today's world? And we believe that media literacy skills are essential and that we really need um, all learners to really understand how to author and consume using all media. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I guess I feel like, can you talk a little bit more I know you kind of touched on this can you talk a little bit more I guess like just like I guess like passively consuming media and like being media literate like what does that kind of difference look like that's that's another great question so a media literate person So we have like, there's a bunch of resources that we have. And my organization is an organization that works to move media literacy forward, um, both in formal and informal education spaces. So we do think it's really important in the pre-K to 12 space, but we also think um, because media and technology are always changing, it's really lifelong learning, right? We need to be able to have systems in place so that we're always learning about new technologies and new media. So, um, I gosh, I just went on a tangent and I forgot your question. Oh my oh, god, good. It was like what it was about. It was like the. I know you're good. It's a, It's like the difference between like being a media consumer and just like 
And being media literate. Yes. Okay, great. So a media literate person has certain skills, right? And um, and the reason I brought up the other stuff is because, you know, we have to think of this as a continuum, right? Like, just like literacy, we're constantly learning and reading and challenging ourselves. And, and we even as adults sometimes read texts that we don't fully understand. It's like a different kind of language. And, you know, it's like how I feel anytime I pick up Shakespeare, like that's a different type of literacy to me than when I read just like a, you know, a novel. So um, with, with media literacy, there are certain skills that we want to impart on human beings and really like media literate behaviors, I guess you would call them. So media literate people know how to ask questions about the media that they consume and create. And that's a really key point about media literacy, right? Media literacy is about developing habits of inquiry. And that means that we get used to, we practice always asking questions when we're consuming or creating media and that it becomes instinctual, right? Like that every time we watch something or scrolling our feeds or, you know, at the movies or, you know, um, reading that we're always wondering about it and we're asking questions and, and there's a whole series of questions that we kind of recommend, but it's really about the process of asking questions. Who made it? Why was it made? What, what does it make me feel? Um, how do I respond to this? All of that, like we want to be processing and reflecting as we're making media and as we're consuming media. But a media literate person also knows how bias is involved, right? So our personal biases, what do I bring to media, my media experiences? What do I bring um, to the things that I put out in the world, but also to the stuff that I choose to consume? Um, but we're also aware of bias in the media itself, right? The the choices that producers made, the choices that companies make, why they make those choices. Um, so a media literate person understands that and understands the way that like our own personal ideologies and also community ideologies get involved with that media experience. A media literate person also knows how to ascertain credibility. So there's a lot of conversation, right, about understanding mis and disinformation, right? Or like all the stuff we talk about, you know, with AI, like how will we know what if it's what's real and what's fake and all this yeah. stuff? Well, a media literate person has skills to ascertain credibility, knows what questions to ask, knows how to do their research, knows how to kind of um, process new technologies and also thinks about, you know, media and information as broader than just real or fake, right? Because media is is really, the real or fake conversation is a little bit tricky because most information is neither, right? It's like a little bit of everything, right? It's, it's more complicated and nuanced. And then a media literate person also thoughtfully creates media, right? Because remember, the definition doesn't just stop with us reflecting or analyzing. We also need the ability to create, right? Because we are all participating in media systems now. Every time we text, every time we post, every time we like, every time we comment, we're part we're participating. We are media creators, right? So media literate people really understand um, kind of their role and how to thoughtfully create. Mm -hmm. 
And then media literate people also act upon the media that they create and consume, right? And for some people, um, the, the way that we see, let me just back up for a second. So the way that we see the purpose of media literacy is that it's um, creating critical thinkers, effective mm -hmm. communicators, and active citizens. So I brought that up because of the active citizen part of things, right? So we want to learn how to think, we want to learn how to express, but we also want to know how to act, like how to be participatory, mm -hmm. um, or how to be participants in society. What does it mean to be a citizen today? That's all involved with media literacy. So there's a lot, um, a lot going on. Mm -hmm. In terms of like mental health and empathy, I'll just throw in a media literate person um, also practices digital wellness and practices balance and understands the impact media is having on their mood, having on their um, relationships, having on their day-to-day, um, -day, you know, productivity. You know, we look at a media, and of course, media literacy people are not perfect. Like there are times where clearly I'm on my phone a little bit too long and I need to take a break and whatever. But the idea is, a media literate person is thoughtful about their relationship with media. And that will obviously tie into the conversation about mental health and, and wellness. Mm, yeah, definitely. I think you said something in your response about how media is like media literacy is like a lifelong thing. I mm -hmm. kind of like that comparison because I feel like some people might see media literacy as like a skill that they just learn and they kind of I guess like not forget or drop but they kind of just like check the box and go like okay well now I'm media literate but yeah I, I feel yeah. like I don't like that's the thing is to me media literate is almost aspirational it's like we always need to be looking at what else we need to learn in this like really vast like complex like sat you know media saturated world like for example like I do this work. I've been in this job for 12 years. I've taught this for, for many years. And I'm right now doing a lot of research on artificial intelligence because I don't know as much about that as I do about other forms of media or other forms of technology. So it does require um, a willingness and an effort in continuing to learn, right? So it's like, it used to be, you know, even before my time, but maybe my time where you could kind of like graduate high school or maybe four years of college or even two years of, of college and get like a basis of knowledge that could kind of get you through your whole life, right? Like that was the thinking, you know, of course there's lifelong learning in lots of different ways, but in general, it felt like, okay, you should be able to read. You should be able to write. You should be able to do math. You should be able to check these boxes and you'll be okay. Um, we don't live in that society anymore. Technology yeah. is constantly changing. Like there's never going to be a point where I know everything that I need to know and I don't need to keep learning. And so one of the other things media literacy is meant to do is to um, inspire curiosity, right? Inspire us to want to learn about new things and want to understand um, new media messages that are out there or technology that's be that's advancing. Um, and so that's, that's just an important thing that, you know, we're not, we have to be lifelong learners now. Mm -hmm. And so part of our school system needs to be inspiring 
students mm-hmm. to want to do that, to want to learn, to want to be curious. Mm, definitely. And talking about schools, I I guess like if I'm not mistaken, media literacy isn't something that is like standardized in the school curriculum. Right. So I guess yeah. why do you think that why do you think that media literacy isn't part of like standardized school curriculums? So I think that um, there's um, some misunderstanding about what media literacy is and mm-hmm. how it can effectively be taught. So I I would say that one of the reasons that media literacy has not been widespread is that there's a misunderstanding that media literacy has to be kind of a separate course of study, right? That we need to be teaching a media literacy course. Now, media literacy courses can be very impactful. I'm proud to say I, I teach one at Brooklyn College, and I think that it makes a difference. And, you know, um, just a semester diving into these issues is really important. But in certainly in the high school, like the more formal, like K-12, one of the reasons we haven't seen it is because we don't have time in the curriculum. We don't have space within the day to add media literacy, or that's the misconception, right? Mm-hmm. Is that where are we going to put this? Like every teachers are overworked already. There's so many standards that and curriculum requirements um, that they have to meet. You know, you know that you have to meet them. <laughs> like you guys are working so hard in high school these days, you know? So So the challenge is to organizations like mine who really want to see media literacy be more kind of seen as essential is that what what we kind of move have moved toward and push is that media literacy is a skill base that can be taught across curricula, whether you are analyzing, you know, uh, 1940s newspaper uh, headlines when you're talking about World War II, or you're looking at a graph when you're in math, right? Like those are media moments. Those are moments where you can decode and you can analyze and you can evaluate. And that is what we're trying to get our education leaders to see is that media literacy moments can happen throughout the class, throughout the curriculum in many different classes. And so we have a national media literacy alliance. And within that alliance, we have our technology teachers, our math, science, English, social studies, um, journalism, librarians, uh, writing, like all of these um, like teacher membership organizations have come under an umbrella that is media literacy because each of those each of those types of subject area teachers can be teaching media literacy. Mm-hmm. And so in order to move media literacy forward and make it an essential skill is we need to be training all teachers to bring in media literacy moments within their classroom. Mm-hmm. Also like right before this interview like while I was doing research about media literacy, I think I saw that some people also said that there's like a misconception that media literacy is like teaching people what to think and not thinking critically, I guess. I don't know if that's an argument that you've heard before. We have. So we always say that media literacy is not teaching people what to think. It's teaching people how to think, right? Like it isn't my job as a media literacy 
teacher to get you to feel the way I feel about certain media mm-hmm. messages. Like that is that is not good media literacy practice. It's getting you to understand the questions and the analysis and the decoding of these messages so that you have the skills to uh, that you are empowered to make your choices and you're empowered to think about content that you create and consume, right? Mm-hmm. So we've heard that a lot and we always talk about that. It's about how to think, yeah. how to be curious, how to like really process media messages in an effective way. Mm-hmm, definitely. And I guess we were talking a little bit about media literacy in the schools. What, how, how do you think, I guess, like in your experience, do you think we should teach media literacy? Well, I think that, you know, media literacy skills should be something um, that all students get, right? Because media is such a big part of your lives and all of our lives. And we spend so much time with media uh, messages and processing media messages. We spend so much time with technology, like it's a really big part of our world. And so we should be prioritizing that in school, right? If we're not prioritizing what you're actually like, what is your real life? What is your real experience? Then what are we doing? What are we offering you as a student, right? And um, and I think that, I think that teachers from the very beginning, like even before they're teachers, as they're being trained to be teachers, you know, pre-service teachers, before they're in the classroom, have to be taught how to teach media literacy skills. And again, whether you are a math teacher, science teacher, what are those skills? How do you have those moments in your classroom? So to me, it's really about, you know, figuring out what is your curriculum, figuring out what your requirements are, and then determining where you can insert media Mm -hmm. literacy, because media literacy ultimately should enhance your teaching, should enhance the student's learning, make it um, more relevant and more more impactful. That would be the goal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I guess like pivoting to um, your organization. I guess, mm-hmm. like, how does your organization namely help with increasing media literacy? Like, what are some of the initiatives slash program that namely does? Right. So we are the largest membership organization for media literacy education around the globe. And mm-hmm. so we have about 8,000 members and we have about 80 organizations that are under our umbrella. And we spend a lot of our time kind of amplifying and, um, heightening the profile of the people in our organization. So who's doing really great work, who's doing interesting research, what programs are out there, what jobs are available, what new reports are out there, resources. Um, So we do a lot to build community and amplify the work of our community. We run a national conference every year for teachers. So teachers who want professional development, within media literacy can come to our conference. It's a virtual conference. Um, we run the National Media Literacy Alliance that I, I, I mentioned before. We also host, our biggest initiative is our, as host of national, um, or I should say U.S. Media Literacy Week, which is actually happening in a couple of weeks, October 23rd to 27th. Um, that is our biggest, like our biggest moment throughout the year. It's when um, we really, highlight media literacy to the broader community while the conference is more for our community. The media literacy week is 
like forward and like public facing and um, allows us to kind of get the word out there about media literacy. And so Media Literacy Week is also where we kind of highlight the most important topics of the moment. So we're talking about artificial intelligence. We're talking mm-hmm. about digital wellness. We're talking about, um, you know, media literacy content for media, like actual shows that are bringing in media literacy concepts, like things that we're seeing happening around and um, media literacy and democracy and how we're dealing with mis- and disinformation about elections. Like all of these issues will be discussed during media literacy week. And then we do newsletters and and curate resources. And we just had a leadership summit, um, our first leadership summit, looking at like, what is the future of media literacy? What do we need to do over the next five years? What do we need to do over the next 20 to make media literacy essential? We also work very closely with partners um, and really try to kind of spread the word about media literacy, not just in school systems, but outside. So working with tech companies, media companies, also like government policymakers, all of that. So we, um, we do that um, regularly also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. I, this was something I was personally very interested about because I did, you know, I did do some research beforehand and I did see like I did see those numbers like when like I know right when you click, click into the website, you can see those. And I was thinking I was like, like it's amazing like honestly like all right. the like programs and initiatives and I was like kind of just like wondering about that so and I know at the end of your response you talked a little bit about like misinformation and disinformation so I guess like I guess like my question is like I guess like do you feel that I don't know like how do you think that misinformation and disinformation impacted the pandemic and I guess like how could have media literacy kind of like, I guess, change that or I guess like impacted that, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, me, the conversation around mis- and disinformation um, really kind of, uh, you know, mis- and disinformation has been around since there's been information, right? <laughs> like that's just part of, of the information um, landscape. But in 2016, clearly um, kind of the shift to the Trump presidency really put a spotlight on the idea of mis- and disinformation because of the way fake news became part of that like cultural conversation, right? We were talking about fake news all the time and um, incorrectly, but we were talking about it. And so what was interesting is that the conversation about fake news really put a spotlight on media literacy education because up until that point, a lot of our conversations were happening within the education space as opposed to further like broadening it to the general public. And now you'll see media literacy is something that we really talk about. Not everyone understands it, but we talk about it a lot as um, a culture, you know? And so I would say that mis- and disinformation around elections and around politics became very present. And leading into the pandemic, all of a sudden we were looking, it was different from misinformation. It was life or death mis- and disinformation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that like raised the stakes in terms of combating disinformation and combating um, efforts to, to misinform people. Um, and it also really, really raised the profile of media literacy education and the need for it and the urgency for it. And so I think that there, you know, there were a lot of efforts um, from a lot of 
you know, organizations, companies to really battle against, you know, mis like health disinformation, everyone from journalism, like journalistic outlets to, you know, the FDA or to the CDC, to the WHO, like really, really trying to battle disinformation. And so I think there were media literacy tools that were discussed, that were shared, that were tested. Um, and I think one of the one of the things that we really learned was also uh, there's a lot of conversation about cognitive bias mm -hmm. and understanding now we understand more about how the brain responds to false information and how um, it is very hard to combat um, disinformation with uh, reliable information, you know, mm -hmm. facts don't often solve our issues and that we need, and this is where I think empathy comes in actually, is that there's a lot of misunderstanding about why people believe disinformation. And most of it is because the human brain is vulnerable to disinformation. And then once we believe something, it is very hard for us to change our minds. And that's not stubbornness. That's not stupidity. That's not ignorance. That's our brain function, right? And so there needs to be a bit um, more about empathy when we are trying to combat Mis and disinformation, whether it's the pandemic, whether it's the election, and really big societal issues are being, you know, tested with disinformation. But it doesn't help to just point it like, you know, people are ignorant if they believe this or whatever. Like it's more complicated than that. And we as human beings actually have less choice once we believe something to think differently. And it takes effort and time and education and, um, and so I don't know if that answers your question, but what we have seen is just, you know, it started really with politics moved into this life or death COVID, and then it continues to exist in all of these spaces now, health, elections, politics, um, you know, journalism, like all of mis and disinformation is, is, is an issue everywhere, but so is just understanding information in general. Like we can't, we can't forget that our challenge is not just combating disinformation, but really getting people to understand information in general. Mm -hmm. So how do you think that misinformation and disinformation will, I guess, play into the 2024 election? Because I know you kind of mentioned elections, but yeah, so I think that one of the things that we have to recognize as citizens in the U.S. is that the disinformation campaigns around elections have really, really impacted our democracy. It seems obvious, but they really have. And we work closely with election directors around the country, helping them understand why people believe what they believe, maybe how they can have um, better interactions with people, their constituents, even if we, they don't agree, even if they don't believe or trust them, like how do we have these um, less tension, less toxic environments within the election space? And disinformation is really the number one concern that election mm -hmm. officials have because it impacts everything. It impacts their physical security, right? There's you know, so much um, when disinformation spreads uncontrolled un, um, or, or um, I don't even know, just spreads like wildfire, 
a lot of times there are, you know, there's real people on the other side of that disinformation that are being impacted and election officials are being threatened. They're being, um, you know, they have to have security forces. They, you know, this, this is not something that ever happened before, right? Like we, there was a trust to our election process. There was a trust to these election officers and officials, and they really do keep our, uh, our elections safe and secure. Like our elections are safe and secure, but the disinformation around them not being that is really, really dangerous. So I think that we're in for another round of that, you know, like we are ready and, you know, what we are trying to do is, is try to understand and anticipate patterns and trends in disinformation. You can't battle every single video, every single, you know, image that's out there that's out of context. But if you can spread just general media literacy messages, um, if we, you know, the one thing that we know is that people are a little more savvy about navigating information than they were, you know, X amount of years ago. So that hopefully will be helpful, but we have to continue to push our media literacy efforts. We have to continue to push the social media companies to handle the disinformation problems on their sites. Um, and we need to support the election officials. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I guess kind of to round it off, what can students or I guess anyone in general really do to increase their media literacy? So I think that, you know, first of all, you can ask your teachers about it and ask your schools, like, what are we, you know, what are we doing to enhance our media literacy learning? Mm -hmm. um, your Every teacher in your school could be a member of our organization. It's free. Um, they should be coming to our conference and participating and learning about this. And so that's really, really important. Um, but I think students should also be heard. I think, you know, right now there's so much conversation, especially about teens and social media and the negative side effects and the mental health issues that teens are facing. And the conversations are really limited, right? And they also put like all of the blame on social media platforms when most people understand that, that it, it's not, it, it's like if you magically looked, like took social media away, it's not like all our problems would be lifted. You know, social media has a lot of opportunity, has a lot, a lot of positive, oh, sorry, that's my dog. Um, a lot of positive, um, you know, opportunities with it. And so we have to have more nuanced conversations and we need teens speaking up about their experiences with social media, their experiences with media, what kind of support they want, what they want to stop seeing adults do. You know, we have really strong feelings about, you know, social media bans and social media limits. We don't think that is going to, um, that's going to be ultimately impactful. We think students should be educated and use the tools well and responsibly and um, to your benefit, right? There's a lot of power in these tools. Like to take them away seems like we're taking your voice away, right? Mm -hmm. And and it doesn't solve other, like other societal problems. You know, we have a lot of issues in society whether it's economic or with climate change or with violence, like all of these things are a factor. And um, to put all of our societal ills square on social media is not mm -hmm. going, it's going to kind of let 
our leaders off the hook to deal with all the other problems, right? There are definitely issues that we have to deal with with social media, but we have to look at it as a whole, you know, societal, you know, um, landscape and what are the issues that might be causing, you know, students to feel the way they feel. We can't just say, oh, it must be Instagram. Like it's more complicated than that. We know it's more complicated than that. Let's try to stop simplifying really complicated issues, you know? Yeah. I think something else that students remember is that their voices, their, their voice can be powerful. Like, I guess just because they're not. Yeah. Like, I guess just because they're, I guess, I feel like some people have a misconception that just because they're young or like, they're not like the lawmakers, like, you know what I mean? That they don't have a power, but I feel like that's not true at all. Well, it can't be true because you, you're there, there is too much legislation happening about you without your involvement. Like that is not democracy and it is um, not, um, it's not okay. You know, it's, it's, you know, these social media bans, these, these are taking away your choice, your voice. And, um, and what we should be fighting for is to keep you safe in the space, not keep you safe from it. You know, like that's not how we're gonna, you know, get empower students and youth have such so many, I mean, look at what you are, you know, your generation is doing when it comes to gun control, when it comes to climate action, you know, and we need that push even with media literacy, because there's, there's a lot of um, false information out there about social media being the only reason teens yeah. are depressed. And like, oh my gosh, like it is so much more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. So can we have those conversations so that we can actually be helpful? Can we listen to teens about what they want? and hear them. Um, but, you know, our leaders don't always do that. And so we need you to be louder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to a really powerful message to end this interview. So thank you, Michelle, so much. Again, thank you so much for coming. I feel like we had such an insightful conversation. And I honestly learned a lot. So oh, great. Well, I'm so glad that you reached out, Tiffany, and let me know if you need anything else. And let me know when it's up. Okay, yes, I will definitely.